Hey guys, this is Britt. And this is Carrie. And this is Crime, Crime Freaks. Freaks. Okay, today is going to be kind of interesting for me. Britta has never heard of Aline Warnos. Yeah, I'm excited about this one. So, here we go. There is a trigger warning here for anyone who doesn't want to hear anything about uh, murder, basically. And, um, <laughs> murder and, um, possible, uh, sex crimes and things of that nature. Eileen Carol Pittman was born February 29th, 1956 in Rochester, Michigan. That was, uh, actually her father's last name was Pittman. Uh, she acquired Warnos later on, and I'll let you know about that in a little bit. Um, her mother was Diane Warnos and her father was Leo Dale Pittman. Now they got married when Diane was 14 and Leo was 16. That's that's very young. <laughs> Eileen also had a brother. Her brother was born March 14th, 1955. While Diane was pregnant with Eileen, she filed for divorce from her husband, Leo. And the reasoning is pretty self-explanatory here. She actually, Eileen never got to meet, to meet her father, Leo, because he was in jail from the time before she was born uh, for sex crimes against children. Oh. Yeah. Ooh, good. No. So he was in jail for just being a disgusting human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but she never got to meet him. Yeah. Um, he actually died in prison by hanging himself in 1969. In early 1960s, Eileen's mother actually abandoned both of her children with her parents. Um, their names were Laurie and Britta Warnos. What were you doing there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. But they were both alcoholic, so this was obviously not going to be turned out to be anything very well. Um, no, they um, ended up legally adopting both of the children that year. Unfortunately, her grandfather started sexually and physically abusing Eileen pretty much as soon as they moved in with him. And that was when Eileen was about age four. Um, and then by age 11, she was using sex as a currency to get cigarettes, drugs, and food. Oh. Because she was not being taken care of at home. You know, like they didn't even have food to eat. So she was having to go and prostitute herself at 11 years old just to be able to. Um, she ended up actually getting, um, well, I would say raped, sold out to one of her grandfather's friends. Um, so her grandfather pimped her out. Yes, basically. And um, she ended up getting pregnant from that. So she was, you know, obviously this was a horrible thing in that time to be unwed and pregnant even though it was y'all's own fault, <laughs> you know, like you're, she was 14. So at 14, can you imagine just being basically raped by your grandfather's friend for money for him? I mean, it's not even, yeah, that's disgusting. yes, like she didn't receive, she wasn't in on a deal with that. <laughs> but yeah, back then they did not look kindly onto teenage mothers. So Eileen was sent to a home for unwed mothers, and she gave birth to a son on March 23rd of 1971. Uh, he was put straight up for adoption, and nobody knows what happened to him at all after that. Oh. Like, there's no record of him anywhere after that. Oh, wow. So the assumption is that he was adopted or something along those lines to get his name changed quickly, and yeah. everything was 
So no one can find any information on her. Right. A few months after the birth of her son, her grandmother died of liver failure. And around the age 15, uh, her grandfather actually just kicked her out of the house. And um, so she had nowhere to stay. She was basically just kind of living in her car. Or not really her car, her grandparents' car. Yeah. Or any unlocked car she could find. Um, because it was, I mean, it was in the winter of, uh, but it was in the winter and, uh, it was too cold to just be laying out on the street. Um, so she ended up finding a place that back in the woods, back behind, like close to where her grandparents' house was mm-hmm. and kind of made herself a little fortress back there to live in. Oh. Like she was living in, in the forest in the woods, yeah. and, um, she was using prostitution as a way to survive. To make money. Um, by age 18, she had pretty much a laundry list of criminal activity, but you know, that anything as far as under 18, they don't really keep doesn't, records of, but starting at 18, um, she's got <laughs> quite a list here. DUI, disorderly conduct, firing a pistol from a moving vehicle, failure to appear, um, assault, restraining orders, disturbing the peace, armed robbery, Forge checks, uh, car theft, resisting arrest, and obstruction of justice. Um, there was actually a time in there where she did actually get married. She married a man. She did get married um, not long after she turned 18. Uh, she was in her early 20s. And uh, she married uh, Louis Gransfell in 1976. Ended up... <laughs> they were only married for about nine months. Oh, okay. Everything was great at first. They did really well together. He, you know, thought he was really loved her. And then he said that something just interchanged. Mm-hmm. Like she just kind of really didn't want to be around much. Uh, mm-hmm. She, when they would go, when she would start drinking excessively, she would also uh, end up actually beating him with his own cane. Oh my. So he got a restraining order against her, then filed for a divorce. Or, on some cases, it says that it was uh, actually annulled instead of divorce. But he, um, I don't know if you're, it kind of turns into a pattern that I see anyway. The husband that she had was much older than her, quite a few years. He wasn't like a younger man that just happened to need a cane. Um, He was an older man. Um, Yeah, when you said cane, I was thinking, okay, how old is he? Yes, he was an older man. So, um, in... 1989 is when um, all of these murders first started. Um, Her first victim was Richard Charles Mallory. Although it's according to what you read and what things you listen to um, as to who really was the victim in this case. Okay. He, um, according to Eileen, um, they went out for, to an abandoned area. She had him drive her to an abandoned area. So that he could pay her for sex, some, for some sexual favors. Mm-hmm. But turns out that once they get out there, they get out of the car. Um, she tries to talk to him and he basically yells at her to turn around and he puts a cord around her neck. Oh. And he starts to choke her. She just is really not having that. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not what she was there for. She was just there for general <laughs> business transaction. General business transaction. And he ends up uh, brutally assaulting her. He also sexually assaults her. And then as soon as she is able to get away from him, she goes for her bag where she keeps her 22. She has a 22 pistol. Mm-hmm. And 
she just, she says that she just shoots at him. She wasn't really particularly aiming. She just shoots. Shoots in his direction. Yes. Um, but she says she saw, she shot three times and all three bullets went in. So. Yeah. I feel like she's I got. I can see where that could be. She could say self-defense on that. Absolutely. Because um, I don't think anybody deserves to be raped, even if you're a prostitute. <laughs> like, exactly. that's just not okay. But it turns out that um, Richard Mallory ended up actually being a convicted rapist. So, <laughs> you know, in this case, I, like I said, I it's really, I think that her first victim was... Self-defense. I really do. I believe it was self-defense. That's, I mean, that's my opinion. Anybody could argue on any point on it. Right. But... My opinion is that I think that it was really self-defense. Two days after November 30th of 1989, um, a, two days later, a Volusia County deputy f- uh, found Richard Mallory's uh, abandoned vehicle. His body was discovered on December 13th. He had been shot multiple times. His official cause of death was two bullets to the abdomen. Uh, he had some items that were missing from his... Um, from his vehicle. They really didn't know about that yet. Mm-hmm. They didn't really know what he kept on him. But right. like after they spoke with like family members and friends, they found out that, you know, things that he had. Um, he had like a radar detector and he had like a 35 millimeter camera and those were missing from his car. Okay. So do they think Ali took them? At this point, they don't even know about Ali. Okay. Like they have not even, it has not yet. crossed their mind. Her next victim was david andrew spears he was 47 uh, he was a construction worker um, he was reporting missing on may 19th 1990 his body was found along route 19 in florida completely naked um, he was shot six times so i mean she in everything that i've read this was a revolver so she has basically emptied the entire chamber the whole thing. she's she just she went for it and if you notice those dates are not far apart november 30th of 89 and then may of 90. Yeah, not even a full year. Um, third victim is Charles Edmund Kersakadu. I'm honestly not sure how to say his last <laughs> name. I'm not going to lie about that. He was uh, 40 years old. He was a part-time rodeo worker. He was murdered on May 31st, 1990. His body was discovered on June 6th of 1990, wrapped in an electric blanket and badly decomposed. He had been shot nine times. Oh. Witnesses say Eileen had been um, seen actually driving Charles' car and that she pawned a gun that belonged to Charles. Mm-hmm. But that wouldn't be found out until later okay. because they didn't know who Eileen was. And her third victim, which actually is the reason why she really got put on the radar for this, uh-huh. for any of this. Um, was Peter Abram Sims. He was a 65-year-old man. Uh, he was a retired merchant seaman. <laughs> a seaman. I knew I couldn't say that without <laughs> laughing. Um, <laughs> in June 1990, he left Florida, headed for Arkansas, and was never seen again. On July 4th, 1990, Eileen and her girlfriend were seen abandoning his car in Orange Springs, Florida. They found Eileen's palm print on the um, interior door handle mm-hmm. of his car when they found it. But actually, um, the reason that they found this car was because Eileen and her girlfriend, Tyra, wrecked it. Oh, okay. They wrecked his car. They wrecked his car. Like, she had murdered him and then drove his car from the scene. Well, witnesses um, actually saw this car crash, and they said that they saw two women fleeing the scene, like, 
straight up. She's looked over at Tyra and said, dude, this is a dead man's car. We got to get the hell out of here. (laughs) So we got to, we got to go. So they jump out of the car and just basically literally run. She was actually never tried or convicted for Peter Sims murder because his body was never found. Troy Eugene Burris was the next victim. He was 50 years old. (laughs) I just can't get over some of these people's like, like. Yeah. He was a sausage salesman. (laughs) That's literally his job. He drove door to door selling sausage. Okay. And I feel like he was also a prostitute. (laughs) But that's that's neither here nor there. He he, he sure was. He was trying to, he was actually going to just give it away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) No, actually, this man, they do believe. just picked her up on the side of the road to help give her a ride because a lot of times that was how she found these people or found these men was to pretend to be stranded. A hitchhiker. Just straight up hitchhiking from one town to the next. Okay. Because she's homeless, right? She's- right. She doesn't really have a home. She just kind of goes in and out of different places. She, uh, she really just, uh, they think that this man was honestly just a really good man and he was being nice and stopped to pick up a hitchhiker. And she took advantage of this. He was, uh, Troy Burris was reported missing on July 31st of 1990. His body was found in a wooded area along state route or state road 19. He was shot two times. Um, but that's the one that I think (laughs) is really the only one that doesn't scream. Doesn't really sound like her. Yeah. It doesn't sound like somebody that she would have really went for. Yeah. Um, unless, I don't know, unless he just seemed... Just opportunity, maybe? Yeah. Um, her next one was Charles Richard Dick Humphreys. He was 56 years old. He was a retired U.S. Air Force major, a former state child abuse investigator, and former chief of police. Okay. He was killed on September 11th of 1990. His body was found fully clothed. And he had been shot six times in the head and torso. He actually had a bruise on his uh, on his side and like on his right side, mm-hmm. and it was kind of in the shape um, shape or form of the end of a gun barrel. Okay. Um, so what they think happened to him was they think that he had stopped in this convenience store, went inside, and when he came back out, she got into the vehicle with him on the passenger side, stuck the gun up to his side, like forcefully. It's a drive. And was like, drive to this place. (laughs) Yeah. So what they're thinking is, you know, by this time, she just really likes to kill. Yeah. And then her last victim that we know of is, uh, or was, Walter Gino Antonio. He was a 62-year-old man. He was a trucker. He was a security guard and a part of the reserved police. Uh, His body was found near remote logging road in Dixie County, and he was nearly naked. It took five days for them to find his car, and they found it in Bavard County. Mm-hmm. Basically, every single man that she murdered, she took their car took because the car. She, yeah. yes, because she'd had them drive her out to a remote area, and then she would just leave their bodies, and then she would get in the car and take off. And her and her girlfriend Tyra would just drive around in this car until she was like, mm, "It's going to get suspicious. Let's leave it." <laughs> right. So Tyra knew about all of this. Tyra actually didn't. It was more like it was really good described in one of the uh, documentaries that I watched. Um, it's kind of like a mob wife. Okay. Where they know that they're doing something bad, but they, they don't want to ask about it. Okay. Yeah. Now was this her girlfriend? Girlfriend? Or yes, this friend? was her actual girlfriend. Okay. They. Um, 
They were completely in love. Okay. And unfortunately, unfortunately, Tyra ended up being the reason that she was actually caught. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, after the murder of uh, Peter Sims, the witnesses, mm-hmm. the witnesses actually gave um, description of the two women that they saw run away. Okay. And so now the police are starting to kind of put together the fact that there are several murders across several counties all in the same state. And they're piecing it together. That are basically all the same MO. They had sketches from the sketch artist at the police station that they put out all over the news. Mm -hmm. So all these people are like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. That there's two women out there possibly killing all these men. Yeah. For starters, the police were just flabbergasted. That it could be That a woman woman (laughs) could kill somebody. Yeah. Listen, there's a whole bunch of people that kill people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell you right now, there's probably a whole lot more women serial killers than you think. Yeah. Uh, They're just smart enough to not get caught. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you don't know about them. (laughs) But it turns out that um, the sketches actually did way more for for them than for the police than anything okay. well tyra actually started seeing these everywhere these sketches and the sketch of her looked way more like her than the sketch of eileen looked like eileen oh gotcha so she starts getting really nervous like why am i seeing my face everywhere? yes um she's like okay listen <laughs> this is this is not okay she basically just tells eileen listen i have to go stay with some family I, I can't be here right now. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. Yeah. And so she breaks it off with Eileen and she goes up to, I'm thinking Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, stays with some family. And she's like, peace. Yeah. She's like, I'm not doing this. Bye. <laughs> and um, so people had start noticing that this sketch looks like Tyra. Besides Tyra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so other people were like, listen, there's this prostitute that lives down the, you know, they're staying in motels and, you know, they're just kind of down the road and her girlfriend looks just like that sketch. Yeah. But that one doesn't look like her. So they're like, hmm. They're starting to put the Yeah. So they've, they've finally figured out that all these things are the same, like same MO. Every one of these men were killed with a 22. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's starting to really come together. And because they, you know, their ballistic reports weren't nationwide back then right each county had its own ballistics report so they didn't have it put together to know that it's the same bullets the same gun coming you know it's not it's not coming together for them just yet by this point they decided that okay we're gonna take those sketches and put them with all of these murders and see if we can do something with that and so they're like okay this is our first female serial killer and we don't know what to do (laughs) because they are seriously completely bumfuzzled that they have no clue. Yeah. So what they did was they get a hint that it might be this Eileen Warnos. So they go through and they're like, well, we don't have any proof. What they did was, is they went back to, they went back to some uh, information from her first murder victim, uh, Richard Mallory and that radar detector and camera that were missing. Uh And at the time when you pawned something in Florida, you had to also leave a thumbprint. I didn't know until I did this research that you had to do that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you also had to leave a thumbprint. So the police were like, okay, these are actually his items. We found them and someone pawned them. Yeah. Well, it was under the name of um, Colleen or Carol. Okay. 
she used a fake she name. used a fake name to pawn these, but she had to put a thumbprint. Yeah. What they did was they got the thumbprint from the pawn shop, and they took it back to their the yeah to their each county had their own. Yeah. So they took it back to theirs, and when they ran it, nothing came up in their county. So they were like, well, okay, nothing recently. So what they did was they pulled all of the female, basically all the female um, prints that they had in in their storage. Yeah, the database. <laughs> and because um, at this point they were actually on cards. Oh, okay. Like nothing they were. Was on computer. Nothing was on computer. It was all on cards, like actual cards. Uh, it had like the little mugshot picture picture in the corner, and um, and then the fingerprints. And one of the ladies that worked there was like, "Hey, listen, nothing's coming up in this in our computer system." So why don't we manually do this? Yeah. Why don't we actually just look at these? <laughs> and they said that it was probably not even 15 minutes oh, when wow. they came upon her file. And they pulled out her card. And sure enough, it was the exact same thumbprint to match with Aileen Warnos. Mm. So that was, that's still not enough to put her in jail for murder. Because she could have acquired them from many different ways. But this is how they actually got her thumbprint originally. <laughs> it's from one of her previous arrests. <laughs> yeah. The only way to actually catch her at this point, because there was no other evidence for it to be found, okay. was a confession. So now they're like, we need a confession. Okay. We've got to have her tell, tell us this. So what they did was they found out she had an outstanding warrant on, I think it was a firearms possession. So, uh, an undercover cop went to this bar that she apparently frequented. He went in there, and he was buying her beer, buying her cigarettes. Mm -hmm. They were playing pool. Um, he said that she actually got quite aggressive during pool. Um, like, she would smack him with her pool stick. I mean, <laughs> I don't feel like that's exactly aggressive. Yeah. Because I would totally smack Robert with my pool stick if we yeah. were playing pool. Like, I, but she didn't know this man prior. Yes, she didn't know him. So I guess that could be... Maybe I'm just aggressive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> back to my point. What they did was police ended up contacting her girlfriend, Tyra. Her ex-girlfriend, Tyra. Okay. And they offered her immunity to any of these crimes because they were going to charge her with an accessory after the fact if she didn't cooperate so you know a little bit of bribery yeah um <laughs> yeah so she was and i mean she apparently she did not even think on it she was like hell yeah let's do it yeah she <laughs> like she <laughs> she was like i'm not going down for this exactly. i'm i didn't do this i'm not going down yeah I, I don't understand but so um she's offered this immunity if she can if she can get a confession from eileen for the murders. Okay. So the police set up Tyra in a motel room. They recorded all of her phone calls. Eileen was actually in jail at this point, still for the the warrant. The yeah, for the from the weapons charge. Yeah. Well, police set Tyra up in the motel room and recorded all of her phone calls with Eileen Warnos because Warnos was still absolutely a hundred percent in love with uh, with Tyra. Tyra. Okay. She told her she would basically do anything for her. So Tyra starts telling her that she's really worried that the police are going to charge her with the murders. Like the police actually script out an entire thing that like all of the things that they want her to say to try to entice her or to try to entice Eileen into confessing. So at this point, nothing was going to happen to Eileen for these murders until Tyra opens her big mouth and starts 
like pulling all of this out of her. Right. She said that she was, I mean, she just kept telling Eileen that she needed to confess. She needed to do something because uh, they were bothering her. They were starting to talk to her sister. They were starting to talk to her mom. You know, they were pulling her family into this. She really needed to just confess what she did. Mm -hmm. And Eileen finally just breaks down and says, okay, okay, I'll do it. She's like, for you, for you, I'll do it. And it's like, damn, (laughs) I am not going down for you. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let them keep talking to your family. I don't care. (laughs) But yes, like the whole time, she's like, I love you so much that I absolutely will confess right now. She's entirely like, do it right now. Do it right now. And she's like, okay, okay. And she literally gets off the phone with her and hangs up the phone with Tyra, goes to the CO Uh and is like, I need to speak to the detective that's over this in this case. And they're like, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Why would she want to do that? She's like, I really need to speak to this detective. And they were like, okay. So they call the detective and they get it all set up. And she comes in and she sits down. They're like, okay, what do we need to talk about? Like, there's actual video of her, like, in this interview process. And they basically sit down and they're like, okay, what do we need to talk about? And she's like, I did it. I wish I hadn't ever done it, but I did it. Oh, wow. And it's like. So she just confessed. She just flat out. And just as me and you sitting here having a conversation. Like, she was not stressed. She was not upset about any. None at all. None. And when they ask. Did they say why she did these murders? Well, when they ask her about that. They start to ask her, you know, well, why would you do such a thing? Why would you do this? Why would you kill these men? And she says, because they tried to rape me. Mm-hmm. And the one guy's like, well, weren't you a prostitute? She said, yeah, but that don't give them a right to rape me now, does it? I was like, no, nope, it don't. Right. <laughs> it right. really, really doesn't. <laughs> but, and he was like, okay, you know, that's fair. <laughs> and she was like, she said, well, because, you know, the Mallory actually did and the rest of them had the intent and they tried to or they were coming at me and they were going to hurt me. Right. And I got scared. So and she, she claimed self-defense. As far as the items that were missing from the uh, men's vehicles, mm-hmm. she said that she only stole them, like stole items from their vehicles to get back at them. For trying to rape her. For trying to rape her and trying to take from her is basically how she saw it. Because some of these men, she says they tried to rape her. They tried to hurt her. And some of them just weren't going to pay her. So to her, that was rape. So she's just going to take all her stuff. So she's just going to take whatever she can find. She's just going to grab it and go. After she had confessed, she let the cops know where she actually had gotten rid of her gun. Okay. Uh, They recovered the gun from Rose Bay in Florida. They also recovered from, uh, I'm guessing, the hotel she was staying in or the motel she was staying in. Mm -hmm. A small suitcase that she normally kept with her when it, you know, it's basically her her whole life in one little suitcase. Yeah. That had a receipt for a storage unit inside. And inside that storage unit were souvenirs, basically, from each of the victims. Oh. Like, she would take the things that she could sell, which made sense to people if it was a robbery. Right. But she also took trophies. Yeah. Basically. Right. Like, little things that made no sense to keep. Yeah, that's weird. Um, and she kept them in her storage unit. She actually got on the stand at her trial. Her first trial and told her entire story about how things went down with Mallory. The first victim. Yes, her first victim. Basically about how she had been strangled and how he was trying to really hurt her and that she had been severely beaten and raped and sodomized. After she had been on the stand, they actually called her ex-girlfriend Tyra on the stand. Mm -hmm. And Tyra said that she had no bruises and acted fine when she came home that night. 
the night of the first murder. She said that she, well, didn't say that she didn't have any bruises, but she didn't remember seeing any bruises. Yeah. So that so was. Do they think that she lied? Made that up? Or? They do. They think that she's basically just a liar, a liar, and a murderer, and yeah, she she just saying what she can to get away with what she can. And so after all of that, the uh, the jury goes back and comes back out with a verdict of the death penalty: guilty, murder in the first degree, and How after many victims total. Well, they actually, at this point, they had only charged her with the one. Okay. She had only been to court for the one, but she had seven victims. After the verdict, she starts yelling at the jurors, and I quote, Scumbags, you sons of bitches. I was raped. I hope you get raped. Oh, my God. So everybody was like, uh. That's awful. She was like nice and calm until something did not go her way. Right, right. <laughs> and she just went nuts. Yeah. Like, you don't wish rape on anybody. No. <laughs> And, you know, I understand that if she was raped, that she would be very upset. Yeah, traumatized. Yes. And I just, I still can't, I don't know. I just, she starts screaming and going into a rage and then they just take her on back out of the courtroom. And then she moved on to sentencing in front of just the judge. And at sentencing, you know, he let her know that she would be sentenced to death by, yes, it would be lethal injection. Um, at sentencing, she was, uh, the judge let her know that she would be basically in jail for the rest of her life because she was going to be sent to death with lethal injection. As that was finished, she screams at the judge, I hope your wife and kids get raped. Oh, my. So. <laughs> Yikes. At this point, Eileen was just tired of living. Um, everybody in her life that she had ever loved or was supposed to love her has betrayed her. And she's just done. She's done. Like, the media is portraying her as, like, this, you know, awful, horrible lesbian murderer. Like, that's what's all over the headlines. Yeah. And she's just tired of everybody talking about her. And she's tired of everybody, like, betraying her. Yeah. Like, I feel bad for the, the child, Eileen. Like, yes, absolutely. Her, but, you know, definitely not the adult. I mean, I feel bad for some of the stuff that she had to go through as an adult, but <laughs> I feel like she really she really needed some help. Well, at this point, you know, she's just tired of living. She doesn't want to be around anymore. She doesn't want to have to go through any more trials because at this point she's got what? She already has the death penalty. She already has the death penalty. So it's it's happening one way or another. And at this point, they've got six more trials to go through. Yeah. And she's like, nope, not doing it. No. So she... Talks to her, uh, her lawyers. Yeah. And she's like, listen, I want to plead no contest. This is, I did it. I'm tired of people talking about me. I didn't do it in self-defense. I just did it because I wanted to do it. I, I just hated them. I just, I just hated them. I just, it wasn't self-defense. I just wanted to kill them. So she recanted her. She completely recanted her original statement and just decided to start saying that, listen, I hate, I just hated them. I just wanted to kill them. And if she did that. <laughs> then that was her professing her guilt and there was no reason to look into it any further. So they just went ahead and basically all the trials got the same sentencing. So she got six death sentences stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and yes, there was seven victims, but like I said, they never found her. Um, she never told them where the one body was. No. Um, she never found Sims. Yeah. Um, or, I'm sorry, they never found Sims' yeah. body. So she couldn't be tried for it. Okay. They didn't have enough to go on for him. And she never, she confessed to his. 
but there was no body, so there was nothing for them to. I don't really understand how that works. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't work like that now. Right, but no crime. <laughs> right, it's not exactly like that anymore. Right, and <laughs> so she just basically says that I, I killed him in cold blood. I just want to move up my execution. Yeah. Oh, so she just wanted to speed. She it up. wanted yes, because at this point it was going to be years and years, and she didn't want to live anymore. She was tired of it. She was done. She said that they were being awful to her in the jail. Saying that they were tampering with her food, tampering with her way she slept, saying they were putting some kind of waves in her brain. Oh, brain waves? Yeah, they were. They were messing okay. with her brain waves from something that they put into her cell. So they kept having her evaluated, <laughs> and she was like, "Listen, I've been evaluated like seven or eight times. I'm fine. I am perfectly sane." She was like, "Just move up my execution. I, I'm just done here. Yeah, like I don't want to be here anymore." <laughs> Um, because, you know, everybody is horrible. And, um, I mean, it's understandable. But what I thought was slightly interesting was that she was offered a last meal. Mm -hmm. She refused it. Oh, okay. Like, she even refused the the standard last meal. Normally, they, they'll give them just a standard last meal. Right. And she said, all I want is a cup of black coffee. That was literally her last meal, was a cup of black coffee. I mean, that's how I would. I can get behind that. <laughs> I can totally get behind that. But if I'm going down, I'm, I'm going to want some, like, raspberry or something. I want a vanilla iced coffee, please. <laughs> can I get a raspberry latte yeah. with an extra shot of espresso? <laughs> I'm going to need that. Meal. Yeah, because I'm going to need that, um, you know, whichever one it is you're using to slow my heart right now to work a little harder. <laughs> I'm going to want you to need it. <laughs> uh, her last actual words on camera were thanks a lot society for railroading my ass so that's how she kind of felt about people <laughs> her her last visitor was actually her childhood best friend okay best friend's name was dawn uh she came to visit her on october 8th and dawn says that they Basically got to visit for a few hours mm -hmm. and that they just kind of sat and laughed and talked and joked and that all of the officers in there just kept looking at them really weird because they were just having a big old time. Yeah. She was like, I guess they expected us to be like sad and, but why? She said she knew where she was going. I knew where she was going. We both know, you yeah. know, she was like, we both know that she's going to die the next day. Right. So why dwell on it? Why not talk about the good things? She's like, and that's just, that's exactly how she wanted it to be. Her best friend had actually gotten back in touch with her after she was in jail for these murders. She said, because, you know, I don't think anyone should murder anyone. <laughs> she was like, and obviously, I don't think she should have done it. But she said, but that was still my friend. Yeah. To me, that was, you know, that was still my best friend growing up. Mm -hmm. And so she's still my best friend. No matter what she did. So her best friend really did have like this unconditional love for her. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that if I got to go to jail and get the death penalty, you better come see me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a raspberry latte. That's right. Double shot of espresso. <laughs> <laughs> Where I worry about maybe she wasn't really that mentally competent mm -hmm. was her actual last words. They don't make a lot of sense okay. to anyone. No one really understands why or what <laughs> the purpose in this was. 
Maybe it was a joke with her best friend. Inside joke? It very well could have been this huge inside joke and her friends just cackle and laughing at it. Yeah. And that, honestly, would probably be the best thing in the world. (laughs) For your last words to make your best friend laugh, you know? Right. Her last words were, Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock. And I'll be back, like Independence Day, with Jesus. June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. Yeah, that makes no sense at all. Exactly. (laughs) Um... Eileen Carol Warnos was put to death on October 9th, 2002. Her official time of death was 9.47 p.m. It took her 17 minutes to die. It seems um, like a long time. It does. 17 minutes for lethal injection. Mm-hmm. But it actually takes... That's about normal oh, from okay. everything that I've read. I just uh, got to keep my options open. <laughs> <laughs> um, Eileen was actually... Um, cremated um and her ashes were sent to her best friend dawn and all four they um eileen's ashes were given to her best friend dawn and they were actually spread underneath of a tree on dawn's property okay uh it was per eileen's request Mm -hmm. it was so dawn has eileen's ashes to spread under the tree on her property Eileen actually requested for her to do that so that she could actually be near someone who loved her. Oh, okay. So I just thought That's that that sad. was, I, it was incredibly sad, but also incredibly sweet that even in the end, she finally found somebody that loved her. Yeah. But she was also kind of a, a psychopath. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, everybody's got to have somebody. So that is true. Well, I hope everyone has enjoyed, um... My take on Eileen Warnos. Yeah, I did, because I, I knew nothing about her. <laughs> like, I, I, when you showed me the picture of her, I knew who she was, but I didn't know what she did. Yes. Um, I know everyone was expecting me to probably come out of the gates a little stronger with something <laughs> a little more gruesome. But I just, I really, I really enjoy her story. Yeah. Um, I can see where things that happened could really happen to people. Yeah. Like, as far as her just trying to make a living and bad things end up happening to her and her have to take, you know, self-defense. Yeah. And them being scared to tell the police that this is what happened. Right. Because their original thing they were doing was illegal. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Because she didn't want to get in trouble for prostitution. Right. But I really think that uh, it's a strange thing to say, but (laughs) I do believe that she is definitely... In my top three, at least, mm-hmm. favorite serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bundy's mine, so I'll be do, I'll be covering um, Robert Theodore Bundy. Mm, I I cannot I can't wait for that actually because <laughs> I very much enjoy Bundy myself. Yeah. Yeah, she's um she was a tough one. <laughs> she, yeah. I don't know that. She had a very um rough childhood. Like, was there any information on what happened to the grandfather? Did he ever get in trouble for? No, he um, never got in any trouble. Her out or? No, nothing like that. Um, he passed away, I'd say when she, I think it was when she was about 17. Okay. He passed away. But at that point, she'd already been on the streets since she was 14. Yeah. So, you know, she didn't have any family or anything like that, really. Yeah. Um, and there was really no information on her brother either. Okay. 
But it was also said in there that the grandfather forced her and her brother to have sexual interactions when they were small children. Together? Together. Oh, that's um, terrible. Yes. Um, that's horrific. So I can see where um, a lot of, like, there was one part of a, um, I think it was the 60 Minutes episode I watched on her, mm-hmm. where the woman was just really mean to her. <laughs> like, the interviewer was just really straight up rude. Yeah. And, or at least I thought she was. And she was like, so don't you think you were just born bad? Yeah. And she was like, born bad? She was like, no, absolutely not. Who's born bad? Yeah. The whole nurture versus nature. Yeah. And she was, she absolutely did not believe in her heart that she was born bad. She was not a bad person deep down. She just did bad things. Yeah. Um, And I do believe that she was truly in love with her girlfriend, Tyra, or her ex-girlfriend, Tyra, because she literally <laughs> died. Because of her. Uh, I mean, well, yes, it was. Yes, it was. It was her choices that led to this. But yeah. if she hadn't confessed to Tyra, then she would not have been put on death row because right. they couldn't have convicted her. There was no way to convict her any other way. Yeah. Um, and all of the all of the detectives said the same thing. If we don't have a confession, we have nothing. Yeah. So it literally all came down to her protecting Tyra. Well, this was episode two and we hope you keep listening. Please come back. (laughs) And check us out on Instagram at Crime Freaks Podcast. And also send us a Gmail at crimefreakspodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us in um, your own case, your own spooky story. Uh, We'd love to read that. Uh, We'll do a whole episode of listener stories. That would be great. Yeah. So that'd be really fun. So send those in and um, tune in next week. Bye. Bye.